0: Podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run.
2: Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're gonna take the north and never give it back.
1: Welcome to the Take the North Podcast. I'm David Haw from 670 the score, the Mullane Haw Show. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune covers the Bears at Hallis Hall. We are joining you during holiday week, the last game of 2024. I'm sorry, 2023, bringing in 2024 Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. Could be the last game for Justin Fields at Soldier Field in a Bears jersey. We'll talk about that later, Dan. Interesting week at Hallis Hall, given the momentum, given the the, the vibes that, you know, a lot of people looking at this Bears team as one that's made some progress this year. And certainly there have been some other things going on. Uh, with uh, uh, some awards given out from the media. But uh, how would you describe the week that was at Hallis Hall?
0: Yeah, I think there's a a bit of a relaxed vibe up there. Um, You know, in a good way, I think there's a confidence that this team has pushed itself in the right direction. They obviously would love to finish the year on a strong note, if they were able to win these last two games, which are very winnable against the Falcons, and then in Week 18 at Lambeau Field against the Green Bay Packers, you, you put a pretty good finishing stamp on a year that started off uh, uh, amid much turbulence. And so um, I think that feeling is inside the building, that, that uh, while the playoffs are a, a pipe dream at this point, and it's, what, less than a 0.9% chance at this point that everything would break in the way the Bears would need it to to, to play beyond Week 18, there is a sense that, hey, we still got a chance to carry forward momentum that will be meaningful into 2024 and we'll see which way they take it.
1: And on Thursday of this week, you were there when the Bears media Corps awarded the Jeff Dickerson good guy award. It goes annually to a Bears player. I'll let you describe number one, what qualifies a Bears player for such an award and number two, why it was named the Jeff Dickerson good guy award after our dear friend who passed away it's hard to believe dan but it's been two years since jd uh passed away in in 2021
0: yeah to the, the latter end i mean just t- truly awful to still fathom what happened to jeff after he also lost his wife to a battle with cancer and december 28th is the anniversary of jeff's passing and so uh for the last two years since we renamed the good guy award the jeff dickerson good guy award we've been handing that award out on the anniversary of Jeff's death with his parents in attendance. So it added to the emotion, David, Thursday at House Hall when we awarded this year's winner, Eddie Jackson. Now, I'm trying to dig through to find my list so I can give you the the, the list of previous winners, just so you have a, a, a snapshot of, of the guys that have been on this list. And, and essentially, this is the Chicago chapter of the Pro Football Writers Association coming together annually to... Um, single out and honor. Uh, uh, it doesn't have to be a player. It can be a coach. It can be someone within the organization that has been uh, professional, courteous, interested in helping the media in a way that is productive. And, and so we've had a good list. So it, 2013 is when I started on the beat. Here are the winners since I've been on the beat. Josh McCown, Matt Slauson, Ryan Mundy, Tracy Porter, Zach Miller, Prince of Mucamara, Alan Robinson, Mitch Trubisky, joint winners in 2021, Robert Quinn and Tayshawn Gibson, and last year, Cole Komet. They are joined now, David, by Eddie Jackson, who uh, is at the end of his seventh season here in Chicago. And, you know, I got to know Eddie really well his rookie year after that game against the Panthers at Soldier Field, where he had the two long defensive touchdowns if you recall that that was a game that john fox took great pride in because i don't think the bears completed more than six passes in that game and they won going away because their defense scored twice and uh eddie has consistently in my mind been uh, not only willing um but engaged when you when you talk to him uh very easy to ask Difficult questions too about the state of the team. Also, very easy to have small talk with when you're in the middle of a ten loss season and you're in an open locker room where the the vibes aren't great, and you're just kind of looking to 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 do that a little bit to, to build relationships. And so, um, the finalists this year, David, were were Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson, and Cole Komet. Any three of those guys could have won, and I would have I would have given thumbs up. It would have been terrific, you know. Um, and then there were uh, a handful of other uh, players, including Jaquan Brisker, including Tevin Jenkins, including DJ Moore, who you know very well, uh, that also received multiple nominations. And so um, for me, before we get into the Eddie stuff, I think it's significant that this locker room has had uh, such a, a good core and a good group of guys that, that, that really uh, are, are solid. And you understand why the coaches in the front office are excited.
1: Well, that was my initial response to all the different candidates that you could have. And you could justify uh, a lot of guys, a handful of guys. And we both have been around teams where that just wasn't the case for whatever reason, the relationship between, you know, the, the media and and a team that's struggling during a difficult year, during a difficult stretch uh, can be combative, can be contentious. And it doesn't always have to be, I think what the bears have done a nice job of, and this is, a credit to Ryan Poles and, and the, the culture that Matt Eberflew speaks of very glowingly. They have gotten guys in that, that locker room that have pretty good football character. And they uh, can deal with adversity. They also are very professional for the most part. And, yeah. you know, DJ Moore is is a consummate pro. I told that, you know, about his weekly uh, punctuality, which is impressive <laughs> in right. its own. You know, Eddie Jackson is somebody who's been here a long time. And, and if he hasn't been rewarded for uh, anything except for maybe just that longevity and his ability to persevere through what's, a, you know, can be a pretty difficult market if you weren't playing well, and he's not been on a lot of winning teams, then good for Eddie Jackson. He has been somebody that has returned this year, stayed healthy, and um, been part of a defense that is is the best part about this bear season.
0: I think I shared this story last year when we were uh, talking a lot about Jalen Johnson and his, his kind of engagement with the media. And there was like a, I can't remember what the the crux of the story was a year ago, where we were trying to, to kind of work through it wasn't even conflict, but there was some some things that Jalen was saying that were being misinterpreted, and I tried to come on and say, look, like th- this is just a guy speaking from the heart, and if you're there every day, you know what he's saying. And and I, I, I told a story from 2019 after the Bears lost in Philadelphia, and it was one of those losses that was just a, a gut punch during a season that had such grand hopes and was going downhill. And I remember going to Eddie's locker that day in the visiting locker room in Philly, and him being – in a really ornery mood, and and kind of snapping at me, and me kind of snapping back and being like, "Man, look, like this is post game. This is part of the job." And him kind of snapping back at me and being like, "Look, I have given you a lot over my first three seasons in the league. Give me this one, you know." And, and I remember working through that in the tension of the moment and thinking, "Yeah, you have earned this one." You know, you have. And, and, and that's the the benefit of being around a team for a long time is you can have those back and forth as a reporter. You can have those relationships as a player where um, it can get tense and, and angry and contentious at times. But if there's a the mutual respect back and forth, it all works itself out, you know. And, and so I've always appreciated about Eddie because it really was the only time in my time Man. dealing with him that he was ever like that. And so when you wow. build up that equity, when you build up that, uh, you know, credibility and, and and willingness to talk, you, you have set yourself up to be someone that, that is looked upon fondly by, by the people that cover you. And before we get to what
1: he had to say in accepting this award, I, I think you're right. And I think with this also, I'll just add this, the growth that he has experienced in Chicago He's had adversity with injuries. He's had setbacks with his play on the field. He's not always a guy you look at and say, well, you know what? That's the way you do it. You know, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But I also think this, when you talk about this specific uh, role in a professional athlete's job, you're not always going to feel like a willing participant in the conversation, as you just point out in that example. Eddie Jackson's come a long way in that regard. I think it was 2019, might have been 18, but he was a regular on the Mully and Haw show. He was okay. a regular eight o'clock um, staple for us Mondays after bears games. And I'll just say that as much as I talk about DJ Moore's punctuality, we, <laughs> weren't, we weren't necessarily talking about Eddie Jackson's punctuality or professionalism <laughs> that year. I, mean, I, I don't think I need to say any more, but he, he has come a long way. And I think it's great to see because your relationship with him, other people's relationships with him, the way he view, views his role, as maybe now the elder statesman of a team, a defense, he takes it seriously. He is a consummate pro. And this is a nice reward for Well,
0: I, I tell that story about 2019 only to kind of circle it back to a couple of weeks ago. And you heard me describe the vibe in the Cleveland locker yeah. room and how crushed those guys were. And, and Eddie actually asked for, you know, 90 seconds to, to, to gather himself as he was slumped back in his locker stall. And we gave it to him. And then he cut open a vein for four or five minutes and told us about the afternoon, told us about the things that went wrong, told us about the, uh, you know, the the emotion and, and why guys were feeling like that in the locker room. And so uh, it was telling. And it was a, a, a really... Uh, you know, significant moment in the course of the season. I will say this, uh, Cole Komet and Jaquan Brisker have been consistently reliable at talking after losses. And that's one thing that those of us in our profession truly respect and appreciate is those guys that no matter how bad you get beat, the understanding of, you know, I'm going to stand up and and answer whatever questions come my way and I'm going to handle this part of the job with grace and dignity. Those two guys deserve a lot of credit for that. Part of the the job as well, and so, um, you know, I guess that leads us into uh, to, to some of the the things we talked to Eddie Jackson about on Thursday. Um, again, I I mentioned the fact that Jeff Dickerson's parents, uh, George and Sandy, have been in attendance the last two years. It it brings emotion into the room, David, that um, you're not quite prepared for because I, I know for me personally, I still haven't fully process the idea that Jeff is gone. You, know, you just expect to see him there one day and be like, oh, hey, J.D., how, you, how have you been? And it's not happening. And Eddie's one of the guys that's been around long enough to have known Jeff. And so uh, we'll start out with kind of the exchange of, of Eddie um, accepting his award on Thursday and then a couple of the, the, the questions that went back and forth as he explained kind of his approach with media.
3: I'd like to thank everyone in here. Um, you know, also Jeff, you know, the times I met him, you know, nice, humble guy. Um, always ask the right positive questions. Um, so, you know, us as players, you know, we always thankful for that, as most of you guys in here do, but not everyone. Um, to his family. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say thank you guys for being here. Uh, it means a lot. Um, like I said, the time that I met your son, it was always a great conversation. Um, very humble, nice, respectful guy. And, um, you know, you guys did a fine job of raising him. So I'm honored to, you know, accept this award. Um, after that, I guess, what questions, Tom?
0: You've obviously seen a lot over seven seasons in this building. I'm curious, as a young player, kind of how you learned – to handle this market, this spotlight, and just kind of
3: learn how to be a resource to to us as reporters? Uh, Man, just from older guys, um, just seeing how they went by it. you know, Khalil Mack, you know, is one of my, you know, staples in that when it comes to things like that, just how he handled everything just in a professional manner. Um, and just the media, you know, you, you know, just try to help you guys make your job easier. You know, I, as players, we understand you guys all have jobs to do. So if we can help that, you know, and keep it in a respectable manner, you know, we, I'm, we're here for it. So that's that's kind of how that, that went about. Eddie, why do you take seriously the responsibility to be someone who talks when not – Every player of your caliber is willing to do that. Uh, what is the responsibility you feel within the locker room to be someone who's going to answer the tough questions? Um, I feel like it's needed, especially when you got the younger guys and guys in the locker room look at you as a leader. You know, um, I feel like your response is held to a higher standard than someone else's. So I feel like it's always, um, you know, meant for me to speak. You know, whether it's me, Tremaine, or a guy like that you know, we can go out there after a tough loss, you know, even when we don't want to speak, you know, we still feel like, yo, like, you know, you have to say something. Like I said, everyone has a job to do. And it's, it's for us to make you guys job easier, you know, answer those tough questions. Um, And I just, you know, tip my hat off because a lot of teams, you know, their media is kind of different than ours. Like everyone here is keeps respectful. And I feel like that is that huge, that is huge for us, you know, as players, like we really appreciate that. Because, um, you know, guys can twist up stories and make what type of headlines. But you guys, you know, you, get, you keep it straight on and respectful. But, you know, it's on us, you know, to, to stand up and hold ourselves accountable without a win or a loss. Um, it's just like in a meeting room, you know, if you give up play, you know, it's for you to stand up and, you know, admit to that mistake and go on and try to correct
0: David, yeah, so I'm going to keep- go ahead and, and, and screen grab that, that quote about the Chicago media and put it on Twitter so the world that, that – uh, <laughs> They need to know that, that that the players are are appreciative of how respectful and, and straightforward we are. You do appreciate that. I mean, he
1: understands the job sometimes can be twisted. He understands the role that we both play. And there's a yeah, that, that's kind of uh, unexpected praise or unexpected objectivity, I think, from a player who has been you know, he received a share of criticism over the years. And I think that's really interesting to see. You know, Dan, though, when when you hear him talk, and this will segue into our, our next comment from Eddie, I think when you hear that maturity level and that respect level, and I think that stability that it, that his voice does provide, whether it's, you know, into a microphone or maybe, you know, in, in the secondary, you know, settling people down, getting people lined up, on this on the sidelines, you know, we heard a lot from John Hoke and he's he's big on, you know, having guys who have this emotional maturity. How does that factor in? How will that play a role in a guy who is uh, a veteran? coming off a season that maybe he thinks has been good, but maybe he could think could be better. He's going to have a high number next year. Salary wise $14 million. How does that all go into the the equation when evaluating what Eddie future, Eddie Jackson's future holds?
0: There's no question. I thought Brad Biggs had some good insight in his 10 thoughts piece coming out of the uh, game over the weekend against the Cardinals about the uncertain future for Eddie Jackson. You mentioned it. His base salary for 2024 is 14 million plus his cap hit number is north of 18 million. And so, He's not a good enough player at this stage of his career to justify holding that amount of, of salary cap space there. And so Ryan Poles is going to have to make some business decisions. He's going to have to figure out how valuable is Eddie to this locker room? How much does his presence mean? We've talked a lot about the the Tez factor and the Montez sweat uh, element to the, the defensive resurgence. Well, that coincided with Eddie Jackson also coming back from injury that he suffered earlier in the season. and So I think there are defensive coaches in that building that who clearly believe that Montez Sweat was a catalyst of what's happened for this defense, who also believe that Eddie hey, Jackson's communication on the back end and his presence back there has been stabilizing at the same time. And so you have to figure out what that's worth. Uh, Eddie is certainly made it clear that that like you know he would love to stay here um he also understands the business so we'll see where this goes but i think brad uh, in his piece was was interested in learning if if the front office came to you and said hey we'd like to keep you here but we're not going to keep you here at your current contract number how would you respond to that and eddie has seemed receptive to that i asked him on thursday afternoon if he's done any reflecting on the idea that he could walk into soldier field on sunday against the falcons and walk out Never to put the
3: Bears uniform on again inside uh Soldier Field in that home stadium. Here was what Eddie had to say about that. Really. I know guys keep asking me that. It's like I'm living in the moment, man. Like I'm I'm appreciating the guys and just being around like Tremaine, those guys, TJ, D Walk, like all the new guys, a new face on the team and just the relationship we built within a year, man, it's like it's crazy. Um, so I haven't really thought about it. Um, you know, Lord willing, I hope I'm here uh next year, but Like I said, man, God always has a plan. So I feel like I always land on my feet. Um, I hope it's here. You know, I know how it works in the business. I wish I could be here my whole entire career, but we know how this thing works. But it's just you got to live in a moment. You know, you got two more games guaranteed. Like I said last time, like I'm guaranteed two more games as a Chicago Bear. So I'm going to live in that moment. I'm going to appreciate every moment of it.
1: That's pretty good stuff. Eddie Jackson is 30 years old. Safety's play a long time in the National Football League. If this Bears defense is as special as they think it can be, I think that is in his favor. You probably don't want to replace somebody who has such an intangible role. I mean, you can look at Brisker, you can look at the other guys who make a lot of the bigger plays right now. Eddie Jackson did have, you know, interception back to the one-yard line, and that was really cool. But it was, you know, he hasn't had the takeaways that he had earlier in his career but I do think there's value in what he brings and that'll be that'll be one of the biggest off-season storylines as far as the defense is concerned.
0: Right. And look, there's a lot that's going to go into this off-season. You know, I think we're about to turn the page on 2023 and we're going to look back kind of dizzied by all that happened and how eventful it was from you know New Year's Day to New Year's Eve for this team. And then we're gonna look ahead to 2024 and go, it could be twice as eventful and twice as significant in 2024. And so this period of of Bears history is really setting up to to be something. We don't know what it's going to turn out to be, but we know it's going to be something. And so I think that all these little decisions add up to big decisions. Um, and we we spend so much of our attention on the quarterback and the head coach that you lose sight of some of these other uh, little things that, that Ryan Poles and his staff are going to have to get their arms around as they put their entire puzzle together. Join me every week for multiple
3: episodes on the Brett
0: Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Before we look too far ahead, remember, there's a game Sunday. Let's look at that with our numbers game and our predictions. Every Friday, ChicagoTribune.com. Dan Weeder has a numbers package. Dan, what are some of the highlights this week?
0: We're going to start with the defense here, and I'm going to give you one that is probably going to open your eyes, and it's 80.7. It's the number of rushing yards per game that the Bears have allowed this season. A year ago, they were allowing 157.3 per game. That was second to last in the NFL. They are suddenly the NFL's best run defense, and not only are the, the the NFL's best run defense in 2023, Brad Biggs has a terrific piece coming this weekend about how they could become, quite possibly, the best run defense in Bears history. Oh my gosh. Its current leader in that category is the 2008 team that held uh, opponents to 80.0 rushing yards per game, the 2001 team was at 82.1, and the 1985 Chicago Bears allowed 82.4 rushing yards per game. It gives you a little bit of perspective because those three defenses that we're talking about, in 8501 and and 18, are three of the best we've ever seen here. Obviously, one is by far the best we've ever seen, and this team, in, in terms of stopping the run, has elevated itself to a level that we would not have foreseen being even fathomable when the year started.
1: That's a good one. Wow. All right. I have a couple, but I want to get to yours first. What's the second one?
0: All right. The second one is eight. It's the uh, pass defense rank of the Atlanta Falcons, who are allowing 197.5 yards per game through the air. They've been really good on third down, David, this year. Uh, Third in the league on third down, allowing 33.3% conversion rate and really good in the red zone. Tops in the red zone. Uh, as as a, a defense overall, that's going to be a challenge for Luke Getzey, Justin Fields and the rest of that offense. It's something to, to wrap your brain around as you're making your last minute adjustments to your prediction. I, I think what
1: you're telling me is that this is unlikely to be the 13th time in 37 starts that Justin Fields surpasses 200 passing yards, which is one of the more remarkable stats uh, in his 30 in his three years in Chicago.
0: Could be difficult. Could be difficult. My last number here for you is a little bit off the path, but it's four. It's the number of finalists. For the class of 2024 of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, who were members of the Bears. Obviously, it starts with Devin Hester, who's in his third year uh, as one of the 15 modern era finalists. He is joined on that list by Julius Peppers, who spent four of his uh, seasons here with the Bears, obviously, the bulk of his career in Carolina, and then three seasons after Chicago with the hated Green Bay Packers. And then Jared Allen, who played a season and three games with the Bears uh, in 2014 and 2015. His time wasn't long here. I obviously go back with Jared to my two seasons in Minnesota, uh, a great player there. But uh, you add in senior finalist we talked about uh, previously, Steve Mongo McMichael, who's almost certainly getting the green light to Canton this next year, and you have to figure out if he's going to be joined by any of those other three guys that I just mentioned.
1: I think Steve McMichael goes in. It's going to be a great day in Chicago when that is made official. Uh, I think Julius Peppers is likely to get in. He is, to me, uh, a no-brainer uh, on this list of 15. I hope Devin Hester gets in. I I have lost a little bit of the confidence. It's probably not as strong as it was maybe a year ago. I was a little surprised he didn't get in. It's difficult for specials. Even though he did change the game, I would vote for him but I just don't know how much support he has
0: in that room. It's and difficult Jared, in general too. You got to remember yeah. that this list of 15 is loaded with guys. And then you, you, it's absolutely capped at five. So only five of that 15 can get in. And so you're going to leave 10 really damn good football players out again. And, and and that's what's happened to Devin the last two years.
1: And I think Jared Allen might be one of those 10 left out. I, I, he's got some numbers. He had some flair. He was probably one of the guys who was up for the good guy award when he was in Chicago, because he could be <laughs> fun to stand around and, listen to but i don't think this is his time but that that news came out on on wednesday and you just waited and you feel a little bit anxiety for devin hester excitement for mongo and i think a sense of confidence when you talk about julius pepper so that's a good list yeah uh, sure. oh, all right my, my numbers are courtesy i have two courtesy of our good friends at pro football focus which stood out to me perusing social media earlier today I didn't realize that Kyler Gordon, I knew he had a very good game. I did not realize that according to their metrics, that he had the uh, highest, he was the highest graded cornerback in week 16 or in the NFL with a 90.3 rating. That just underscores to me, I know, I don't know what they're grading. I really don't know the metrics. I don't know what they're measuring, but you watched that game and you didn't need any analytics to tell you that this guy was flashing. And this was one of those games that Kyler Gordon's going to, jump off the screen when you watch the tape and he's had after starting slow because of the injury that he had to miss a time. He's really had a pretty solid season, Dan.
0: Well, you've heard me sing his praises more than once. And just the presence that he brings and the way he plays, the, the physicality at his size to uh, be aggressive and attacking in that nickel role has been fun to watch you know and, and and when you see some of the plays he makes uh, at his size and, and with the tenacity that w- that he plays with you, you, you understand why the Bears coaching staff feels so strongly about his career ascent
1: and the other number courtesy of PFF is 93 and that's the percentage chance the Bears have of having the number one overall pick the Panthers <laughs> play the Jaguars then they finish with the Bucks. It'd be inconceivable to me right now, sitting here to think that they're going to win both those games. And if they lose only one, the Bears have the number one overall pick, which makes all of the other conversations necessary. If they didn't have that kind of certainty with the number one overall pick, some of this debate with Justin Fields about the quarterback moving forward would make a little more sense to me. It really doesn't, only because of the likelihood, the 93% chance that they will have the number one overall pick.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a strong likelihood. The last I checked, I was really happy to bring home tests that had 93% on the top of them when I was in school and so that tells me that it's pretty good right like that they're going to have the the number one pick you you went to Illinois (laughs) actually in in honor of our buddy Jeff Dickerson I'm wearing the Oh that's uh, great that's great I can't
1: believe I dissed Illinois Oh, GD would respect that I-L-L
0: O-M-G. I graduated with high honors from Illinois Mr. Mr. (laughs) Laugh-It-Up over there so Uh, With with honors and high or high honors okay so
1: all right those are our numbers uh this week let's get to our predictions and bring in adam studzinski who my sense is that studs has had a good week riding high in the momentum of last week's victory his successful prediction studs what say you bears falcon sunday on the lakefront
2: as you know it's funny because of the holiday. I I hadn't even thought about predicting this game until we started recording this pod, and I remembered. Oh, I got to send Cody Westerlund my prediction for the score website. <laughs> so I hope it, I'm not even sure if it's going to get on there or not. But <clears throat> uh, anyway, I do want to say real quick on the on the Hall of Fame guys you mentioned. Um, I think I can't imagine if you're a Hall of Fame voter not checking yes on Julius Peppers. Like I, I just how what else do you need from watching that guy play? Right, like I think when when it first came out that he was going to be on the ballot this year, we were talking about it on the Bernstein Home Show, and Dan Bernstein just goes, that would be a yes, (laughs) and and we're going to move on from that. (laughs) Well, Studs, I'm just going to point this out again because this is one of those things that gets kind of clouded over in the process every
0: single year. Only five guys of those 15 get to the yes or no vote every year, so there may be 99% of the room that believes Julius Peppers is a yes, but – At the same time, if there's five other guys that that get passed along to that yes or no vote first, then you're left waiting. It's a silly process, in my opinion, because it just kind of delays the inevitable and puts a lot of of these legends of the game through a lot of anxiety and stress when quite possibly everyone in that room agrees with you that it's just a yes. And and they're onward. I think it's very similar with Devin. I think there's a little pushback on him because he's a specialist, but most people I've talked to think that it's a matter of when, not if with him. And so you just you're left to, to to play that cruel waiting game.
2: Right. And and, yeah, I did also want to say on Devin, like I understand there's a lot of other good players, but it, it It's enough is enough. Like he should have been in two years ago. So, and I know we're a little biased having watched him, his whole, basically his entire career here with the Bears, but like, come on. I don't like, you listen to the way the coaches that were in the league back yeah, then and talk and, and about the players, him. And
0: the players. Yeah. It's, yeah. So. It's universal.
2: I digress. Uh, so it, New Year's Eve, Bears, Falcons. <laughs> I, 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 I just. I look at. It, I think these two teams are actually pretty similar in talent across the board, but the Falcons' quarterbacks just stink out loud. And so, and Arthur Smith tends to like every other game forget that he has three to four really good playmakers on his offense, and Bijan Robinson, and High Kyle hits. Pitts, and Drake London, and even their backup running back is pretty is pretty damn good. So I, I just. I think that when you consider the quarterback play and the fact that Arthur Smith just forgets about these guys every other week, that Bears are going to force a couple turnovers and Justin Fields in the offense. Falcons defense is good, but Justin Fields in the offense feeds off those turnovers and they get the win twenty three to nineteen. And we all have a a happy new year.
1: Wow! Pop the corks twenty three to nineteen. All right, interesting.
0: So I've got a weird feeling about this game. First and foremost, David, I wanted to let you know that I put in an advanced request for them to have more shrimp pregame at the yeah. uh, New Year's <laughs> Eve celebration at Soldier Field. I, I wanted you to know that that was at least the request is in. Uh, I <laughs> I do have a funny feeling about this game, and I'm a little bit worried about the Bears uh, offensive injuries and their availability, particularly for, for Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, I can't get past the fact that they're playing Taylor Heineke. And and I, I just don't know that there's enough there for this Bears team with uh, a surge of confidence and a surge of momentum to slip on the banana peel here. I, I think there's some some danger here. We talked about the Falcons defense and their ability to make this a long, tough day for the Bears. But I it just this is a game that you have to win if you want to firmly establish yourself as a middle-tier team climbing to the upper tier team. And so I'm giving Justin Fields a late game winning drive and I'm giving the Bears a 23 to 20 win.
1: Wow. I think that's an interesting way to frame it. And if that happens, good for Justin Fields. I don't think it's going to come down to that. I think that you have in Taylor Heineke, the kind of quarterback who I have a lot of respect for, and I liked what Montez Sweat had to say about him as a teammate in Washington because that, I think, you know, that's what you want if you're a quarterback. You want to impress people on the other side of the line of scrimmage, but this is the kind of quarterback that this defense takes advantage of. I think it could be a takeaway fest. I think the Bears have a lot of odd momentum for a team that's six and nine. There's a lot of belief there. They know that they can win their fifth straight game at Soldier Field. My sense is internally in the building, they're stressing that. They want to cling to that because they want to cling to something. The season hasn't gone exactly the way they wanted, but you finish the season with that many consecutive victories at home, you start to forge an identity. And I think this season uh, will be determined. You know, obviously it, it was probably dictated by what happened in September, but I think they finished strong and that continues Sunday, 31 to 19 Bears. Three for three. Wow. Three for three. All right. Happy New Year indeed. Let's uh, get to uh, another – before we get to the two-minute drill, I want to – another segment beginning or addressing the Justin Fields situation. Dan, I I wanted to see what you thought about – two things about Justin Fields. We talked about this earlier in the week, but this could be his last game in a Bears uniform at Soldier Field. I – think that he could be playing against a team that we'll hear on Sunday. uh, It could be his his future employer. It would make sense for the Falcons to be in the quarterback trade market. I'm very curious if you saw any parallels between, I'm not going to ask the Lamar Jackson, you know, comp. I don't think that's on the field. The Denver Broncos did something extraordinary in terms of starting Jarrett Stidham over Russell (laughs) Wilson and making a business decision for a team that Frankly, you could make the argument is in the hunt in the AFC so playoff alive, yeah. picture. You got Russell Wilson, who's a top 10 quarterback statistically in the league this year, whether he can still cook the way he used to or not. You had a business decision making di- and dictating a football decision. It happens every year and every week in the National Football League. But could the Bears be in that situation before the Packers game, regardless of what happens this week, if they clinch a the number one overall pick by the virtue of the Panthers losing Would you think that Ryan Poles will sit Justin Fields because you don't want to risk injury to somebody that you might end up trading?
0: So the Russell Wilson part of this conversation is about as high profile of a business decision as I've ever seen made. It's just kind of dizzying to think of what they're doing and why they're doing it and how it's kind of playing out publicly it's very odd and, and and you know it's understandable but it's odd right in a lot of different ways and so you figure that out as you circle it back to the Bears I don't see the Bears going down that path I think that they have um tried to remain fair uh in their evaluation of Justin Fields and remaining fair to their quarterback I think requires pushing him to the end of the season and giving him all uh 18 weeks and and it's you know whatever it'll be the 13 out of the 17 starts 12 out of 17 um that he'll make, you you afford him that opportunity. Now, I think Justin has missed the season finale in each of his first two seasons. If I'm not mistaken, he had COVID in 2021, and and then last year uh, <laughs> didn't get to participate in the Nathan Peterman Tim Boyle Bowl that we saw at at, at Soldier Field, and so. If Justin were to miss the game, I think maybe it would be because of uh, injury that he suffered that might be a little bit worse in week 18 than everyone was expecting when they left the stadium in week 17, if you catch my drift. But I don't think there's going to be a public decision to say, hey, uh, his future here is done. Um, We're declaring it done publicly, and so we're going to sit him to protect that asset because uh, then you've just firmly declared that on January second third whatever it would be uh and I think you'd have a whole hornet's nest to, 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 try mm. to control
1: I understand that you don't want a hornet's nest you don't want to maybe tip your hand unless you think it's fairly obvious to everyone on the outside anyway and I do wonder if you have a quarterback who does expose himself to the kind of hits that a running quarterback does I, I, I want to wait until Monday to see how I feel about this I, I'm not going to say absolutely under no circumstances would I you know, play Justin Fields against the Packers. I do think that it's it's a conversation I would have if you were in that situation when you come to work on Monday. So I'd look forward to that conversation if the Bears are in that position and I and I think they might be. I, I think they might be because Jacksonville, even though without Trevor Lawrence, it's still a game they have to win. The Panthers yeah. kind of they can't they kind of stink. So I think the Bears, regardless of Sunday's outcome, could be in a position on Monday where they know they have the number one overall pick in April's draft and they know they're likely to trade Justin Fields, and is that reality going to make you more inclined to protect your asset and preserve his health rather than expose him to the risk of injury? You could make a business decision based on that premise. I don't know yet how I feel about it until it's a reality.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I'm we're in a whirlwind like we're in the middle of a whirlwind and the whirlwind's not going to stop until May 3rd you know when the draft is over and we firmly have answers to all the questions we have and so um, I think you'd probably agree that this whirlwind gets pretty exhausting at times and there is a lot of uh, hypotheticals to consider across the board on a lot of different topics it's just getting started and and so uh, for those who follow the Bears closely and intensely just Make sure you got enough stamina to get to, to May 3rd because we're, we're, we're not even close to done with all the twists and turns in, in what is going to be a, a crazy offseason. We're close
1: to done with this podcast, but let's finish it out with our two-minute drill.
3: The two-minute drill. The two-minute
1: drill. Luke Getze, speaking of the future, Dan, asked about Justin Fields and whether or not he molded the offense well around the quarterback. You were there. You asked a question How would you set up his answer?
0: Yeah, I just asked him to kind of assess how this season has gone in terms of making progress with the offense and molding it around Justin Fields' skill set. And here was how he replied. It's a pretty uh,
1: pretty intense question I think that's something that you do after the season that you reflect on something like that. I think you when you're in the thick of it you're you're just trying to do everything you can to find the best way to get the game plan together to go to go win the game. So that's a um, I think there's been a lot of really cool progress um, throughout the offense and I think Justin has been a part of that too though as you you know just on a general statement reflecting on that stuff.
0: <laughs> Not a wholly satisfying answer, David. I, I, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I'm going to let you in a, a behind the curtain on this. We walk out in the hallway afterwards, and I'm talking to my colleague Colleen Kane, uh, and she goes, Pretty intense question. Yeah, Luke. These are pretty intense times right now. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, mild mannered Colleen Kane was was a little bit rattled by by Luke's dismissive dismissive nature on a pretty fair and
1: straightforward question. There. I love that. I love that image of Colleen kind of going like that because we both know she is relatively mild mannered. She does a terrific job. Of she, has a,
0: she has a story coming out this weekend, Chicago, uh, Saturday morning on com in your Sunday paper about the possibility of this being Justin Fields' last game as a Chicago Bears. She was able to get some time one-on-one with Justin, and so that's a, a must-read when the weekend arrives. Uh, that's for, great. And really, the, the, the thread of that story, David, is this stuff happens fast. You know, it felt like we were just at draft night, and now we're talking about this being the possibility of his last home game at Soldier Field. It's hard to believe how quick this league spins. Gets his
1: answer there. Matt Uberflus going on the flagship earlier in the week and not really able to say if Justin Fields would be the starter in 2024. I think a lot of people are starting to connect the dots. You don't have to be, you know, a sleuth to necessarily see what's going on here. Uh, but I look forward to seeing how she puts it all in perspective. She's done a terrific job. And I do like the image of her kind of losing it. There. <laughs> I laughed I laugh exactly how you laughed on this podcast. I watched <laughs> yes, it for a couple seconds. Did. All <laughs> right. So uh, in terms of health, where are we with Colt Komet? How about Darnell Mooney? And if they both are out, can are they going to triple cover DJ Moore?
0: So – Cole was out at practice, not participating in practice. So standing on the sidelines during the portion that was open to the media on Thursday, uh, I think the bears are are hopeful um, that he can get himself back in a spot. I know Cole takes a lot of pride in not missing time, uh, but that's a touch and go situation, especially for a six and nine team. You're not going to do anything reckless uh, for a new year's Eve game. That doesn't have a whole lot of big picture meaning to it. Interesting to keep an eye on Darnell Mooney came back to the building uh, after the game against the Cardinals and, and self-reported concussion-like symptoms, he's still in that protocol. And so it's going to be uh, interesting to see where that goes. Again, those are two big pieces to this passing o- offense. When you're in the midway at House Hall and you're talking to the receivers coach, Ty Tolbert, about the potential role that Colin Johnson could play as a wide receiver in week 17, you understand that uh, they're, they're playing some reshuffling games right now and Bayless and Jones and, and Tyler Scott would certainly be part of that as well.
1: Another thing, there was a, Time when Atlanta was essentially Chicago South with all the ex bears connections right now, it seems like Ryan pace is in the front office still with the Falcons, any other uh, bears connections to keep an eye on on Sunday.
0: I haven't looked at that closely. I know a year ago it was like a third of their roster were guys that had played for the Bears and and I think we did a whole didn't we do a whole segment on that? I think we did last I think year we did. It. I think we drafted all the former the former Bears that were uh that were on the Falcons. We'll see there. I I I'm not sure if Ryan Pace will be returning to Soldier Field this weekend as part of the traveling party with the Falcons. That'd be interesting if he's back in the building on New Year's Eve and uh yeah, it's uh an interesting game and and and, and the familiarity I think is Relevant to some extent. DJ Moore talked on Thursday about, obviously, his time in the NFC South and, and understanding how feisty that defensive backfield can be for receivers. He's got the understanding that, that uh, you know he's had success against them. Uh, we'll see which way it goes on, on Sunday afternoon.
1: John Hoke, former Atlanta Falcons assistant coach, came from Atlanta to the Bears. He was on the staff for the Falcons for a couple of years under Arthur Smith, and he has made an impact – uh, in the spare secondary this year. I know that they have played well. I know you have to give them credit, but I do think John Hoke's had a pretty stabilizing impact.
0: Without question. And it, like, it, this is one of those things, David, where when you're able to pair a terrific teacher uh, with a bunch of young, hungry, eager to learn Defensive backs, you get results, you know, and 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 you've seen results from Jalen Johnson. You've seen results from Tyreek Stevenson. and you've seen results from Terrell Smith. It's a good group back there, in their, their, and they're moving. And Kyler Gordon, as we talked about earlier, there's there's a a lot to like about the the direction that unit's heading. That's where this coaching decision. Becomes a little bigger, I think, in some regards, because you're just trying to figure out um, the amount of disruption you're willing to take on if you decide to fire the head coach and move in a new direction. Because it it does mean starting anew with every single position group and every single player that you're trying to develop.
1: I'm going to help you out with angles this week if you need something to write for Sunday. I think that I now have unearthed this little nugget. The Falcons earlier this week, before the Christmas holiday, I believe, um, signed Patrick O'Donnell to the practice squad. So, Patty might still be uh, on the Falcons payroll on the Pal- Falcons roster. He knows what it's like to kick in Soldier Field in late December. Maybe I'm, he makes the trip. I don't know.
0: I, I'm scanning through their roster right now as we talk. I see Scotty Miller, who doesn't have a Bears connection, but I think he's from Barrington. Correct? He's local. But, uh, he used to be Brady's guy. Yeah. Uh, you've got Cordero Patterson, former Bear. That's, that's oh, yeah. an obvious one. And he was a, a return to kickoff against the Bears for a touchdown last year. Michael Pruitt was here for a little bit as a tight end. Uh, that might be it. Just that—that's—that's a, that's a much shorter list than we're—we're we're used to seeing. And well, see you know, it. punters are important,
1: and by yeah, because I think that was the biggest, the most. You were stumped this week. I think when your uh, appearance on the Wednesday Mully and Haw <laughs> show was punctuated by you being asked by Molly what he thinks about the Bears punter. Could they get better there?
0: <laughs> Molly seemed like that was a, a a top ticket item for for you know like <laughs> they got to get that solved. <laughs> He's and, very and concerned
1: about the punter. <laughs> we're going to maybe- get to the bottom of that then we're going to do i think we should do like an hour next week on if if, if trenton gill has a bad game i think we'll spend an hour on tuesday morning about what to do about the punter
0: well on friday morning i'm sitting in for you so i can maybe- that's right you I better get to the- bed to the- i know i do need to get to bed but maybe okay I to get the airwaves well, i think we covered it all anything else to add I don't think so. I'll see you uh, by the shrimp cocktail on Sunday afternoon. I
1: can't wait. It's a little bit early for that. But, hey, we dip it in a little bit of sauce and you can pretend like it's 5 o'clock somewhere. All right. For Adam Szynski, uh for Dan Weider, I am David Hall. Thank you for listening to the Takes North podcast. You can watch us on the 674 YouTube page and listen to us on the free Odyssey app. Happy New Year, Bears fans. Great
0: talk. to you out there.